Hey, thanks for downloading this podcast. If you want to listen live, be sure to download the iHeartRadio app and search for Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. You're listening to the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. It's hour number two of Fantasy Sports today. Craig Mishback with you here, flying solo. Jamie Eisenberg from CBS Sports joins us this hour. We also preview the week in college football as Fantasy Sports today. Hour number two starts now. Fantasy Sports Today. This is Fantasy Sports Today. Craig Mish back with you here on a Friday. Good to be with you. Looking forward to the weekend. I know as most people are, just a reminder, make sure you head on out if you're in the New Jersey, New York area, New York, New Jersey area, to the FanDuel Sportsbook as all of our friends, all of our broadcasters will be live from the Meadowlands. Make sure you catch it. If not, download the Zumo TV app and you can watch all of the shows this weekend as well, including... Sean Glastamachia, who you can catch later today, my producer, 4 o'clock Eastern, uh, coming up later today at the betting window. Make sure you catch his show today, give you some of the odds, and let's kind of walk through the top 25 in college football this week. For those of you who have some uh, wagering interest or playoff interest, uh, let's start off with the Michigan-Michigan State game, which is a noon Eastern game. I know Sean will be all over that one. Uh, certainly Michigan starting to play a little bit better. Uh, they uh, pretty much dominated uh, Michigan State last year, 21-7 uh, to in that one, and so hence the line here sitting right at 13.5. Uh, Penn State, boy, this is a tough go for Penn State coming off that devastating road loss to Minnesota. They moved all the way down to nine in the polls. And look, they're still going to have an opportunity to beat Ohio State and jump back into this thing, but they cannot afford any other letdowns. And they will play Indiana also at noon this week. Alabama coming off their loss to LSU can get right back at it. They're 18 point favorites at Mississippi State. Also, that game is noon. I would expect Alabama with a big bounce back against MSU this weekend for sure. Uh, interesting matchup also going on. Between Florida and Missouri, the Gators probably not in the national championship picture at all, but still in a big picture to play in a New Year's Day bowl game. They're on the road this week at Missouri and only a seven point favorite. And so uh, it'll be curious to me to see because this is a game where Florida lost this one last year to Mizzou 38 to 17, a really uh, big disappointing game. So the rematch is on Saturday. Wisconsin's at Nebraska. Boy, Nebraska is one of the most disappointing teams in college football this year. No doubt about that. They've lost three games in a row now. Some people pick them to win the Big Ten. Wisconsin 7-2 and two on the season. And uh, Badgers are 14-point road favorites. And boy, I mean, Nebraska season has completely turned and in, and in jeopardy of not even getting into a bowl game if they lose this home game against Wisconsin this week. Oklahoma State still hanging in there in the top 25. Les Miles has made things exciting, but they're one and five in the conference. That's the bottom line. Probably still a year away from being competitive. They're 10th in the uh, Big 12. OSU at home is always very good. They're six and three overall on the season. And Chuba Hubbard, one of the top running backs in the country, probably going to do well here. 17 point favorites for Oklahoma State. Uh, Navy and Notre Dame. This was a uh, interesting game last year. 
that uh, Notre Dame won 44 to 22 as as what happens a lot of times with Notre Dame is you'll find in some of these games they don't run up the score against the military academies and they're seven and a half point favorites in this one Navy has had a fantastic season seven and one on the year coming off a 46 point win against Connecticut and uh, this is not an easy team to stop. Two teams ranked in the top 25. I think Navy keeps this thing close this week. 3.30 Eastern start. Wake Forest is at Clemson. Not much to say on this one. Wake is down their quarterback now, and they have a bunch of injuries. They're 34, uh, Clemson's 34-point favorites. Ohio State, 50-point favorites at Rutgers. Highest road uh, favorite in the history of college football. That's true. Georgia will take on Auburn at 3.30 Eastern. This has a lot of national championship implications involved in it. If Georgia loses, they're out. If they win, it sets them up for the SEC championship game where they'll have to beat LSU to jump in. Uh, Texas and Tom Herman, here we go. Tom Herman as a dog, great. As a favorite, horrible. Getting six and a half points this week at Iowa State. Texas was a huge favorite over Iowa State last week. Now this line is completely flipped this year. Interesting one there. Boy, Kansas State now starting to get some respect. They're six and three on the season. Played a close game against Texas last week. West Virginia has completely fallen apart now. They've lost five games in a row, and K-State is 6-3 and three on the year. West Virginia will not be going bowling this year. Uh, Memphis, 8-1 and one at Houston. Houston had some good momentum even after some of their kids decided to sit out the season, but they've now lost two games in a row, and Memphis beat them by 31 points, uh, 21 points last year. This year, they are 10-point favorites on the road at Houston. Will Minnesota have a disappointing finish to their season? They are as high as high can get right now. Uh, playing the best football that they have maybe in the entire conference, and yet they're still a three-point underdog this week at Iowa. If they want any chance to be playing in a major bowl game, they're still going to have to win this game. This week, some people feel like there's a letdown as they will have to uh, go to uh, go to Iowa this week. Um, it's, it's been a great year for them. There's no doubt about it. Uh, Iowa's been more or less the same. Really good at home, not so good on the road, and hanging around the top 25. Number one team in the country, LSU, minus 21 at Old Miss, total is 65. Usually when LSU plays Alabama... Regardless of the outcome, LSU struggles the following week, so keep an eye on that with them laying 21 at Old Miss. Cincinnati is at South Florida after a little bit of a rocky start to the season. Cincinnati's been one of the best teams, really, in college football. They beat Connecticut by 45, and they're on a seven-game winning streak. They're 5-0 and in the conference, and they are up to, let's see, 14-point uh, favorites over South Florida, who struggles to score. Undefeated Baylor. Yeah. Undefeated Baylor. 9-0 against Oklahoma. The Sooners are 8-1 on the year. Oklahoma, I mean, look, they probably have no shot at the national championship game, but yet this line has climbed from 10 to 10 and a half. Baylor's going to have their biggest crowd and most jacked up crowd in a long time this week to take on the Sooners. I would expect them to keep this game close. It's 10 versus 13 there. Appalachian State has creeped into the top 25. They're laying 16 and a half at Georgia State. They're already 8-1 on the year and on the way to a good bowl game for sure. Utah is 21-point favorites against UCLA. I would say that Utah still has a chance to crack the top four. A lot of things would need to happen, including them beating Oregon. Last year, Utah beat UCLA 41-10, to and so hence they're not really giving the Bruins any respect in this one. It's an 8 o'clock Eastern game, and the Utes are 21-point favorites. They have that great defense. Boise State, 27-and-a-half-point uh, favorites against New Mexico. New Mexico's 0-5 in the conference, 0-5 on the road, and they've lost six games in a row. Mm, tough go for them. Uh, Oregon minus 27 against Arizona, another struggling team that got off to a pretty good start, but they've lost four games in a row. Oregon's been great. They've won eight games in a row now and uh and look like you know a, a short loss at the beginning of the season is going to cost them a chance to play for the title and uh that's it that's that's the uh, top 25 college football uh, scoreboard for this week not quite the cachet that last week had for sure but still some exciting games i think and still uh you know a chance for an upset if auburn beats georgia probably knocks them out of of the final four and knocks them out of a chance to play for the college football playoff i still say that georgia wins they beat auburn 
And, uh, and then it comes down to that LSU game coming up in December when they play for the SEC championship. There's still an outside chance Florida could play for the SEC championship, albeit very unlikely because, of course, they lost to Georgia. So Florida would need to win out. Georgia would have to lose, I believe, twice, if I'm not mistaken. But the Bulldogs are in that perfect spot having having to play teams that are ranked high and also having an opportunity to play in the title game to get themselves in there. I think we're looking at two teams in the SEC playing in the college football playoff, no matter how you look at it, one versus four. I think we're headed uh, for sure in that direction. All right, so uh, we'll take a quick time out here on the show. Uh, Jamie Eisenberg coming up in about 15 minutes. We'll recap everything that happened last night with the Browns and Steelers. Also, plenty more to come here on the show as we dive back into some fantasy football discussion. Just a quick reminder for those of you who are listening to the show live, on the FNTSY app or on iHeartRadio or on TuneIn. Make sure if you also could, please subscribe to us and listen to us on demand. You can do that in the iTunes store or Google Play or even on Stitcher or any of the apps that you use. And also uh, like us, which is that little like button that you see there. Make sure you subscribe to us, which is that little subscribe button that you see there. And also, if you wouldn't mind, especially if you're in the uh, business of giving ratings out, give us a five-star rating for this show. Uh, myself and also Joe Pizapia, who hosts the show Monday through Thursday, certainly appreciate the support, everybody who's listened all football season long as we continue to help you win your fantasy football league and dive in more into baseball coming up here in the next month or so. All right, so uh, let's take a quick time out here on FST. We'll be back with plenty more. Don't go away. Want to be the next Daily Fantasy Millionaire? Dunk on your NBA DFS competition with DailyRoto.com and dominate on FanDuel and DraftKings this season. Compete with the pros with DailyRoto.com, Optimizer, and the most accurate projections in NBA DFS, plus lineup alerts, breaking news, late swap support, and much more. Save 10% on winning NBA DFS advice with promo code DUNK. Visit DailyRoto.com backslash DUNK to learn more. Fantasy Sports Today with Craig Mish. And welcome back to Fantasy Sports Today. Craig Mish flying solo with you. And speaking of the college football that we just discussed, thought we would get a little bit of a more in-depth preview from Phil Steele, who was on the morning after talking about who potentially could be in the college football playoff, what it meant for LSU to beat Alabama, and everything that you could possibly want to know from one of the best college football experts in the country. Here's Phil Steele. So, Phil, there's two uh, matchups this week uh, between ranked teams. One is Georgia-Auburn, which I obviously have eyes on. And the other one I just saw a note on your Twitter timeline is is Notre Dame-Navy. And Notre Dame's sellout streak is coming to an end this week, which I found to be an interesting note. You figure they'd be have a packed house for a ranked Navy team. Yeah, you would think. And, uh, you know, you figure that there's probably a waiting list to get to the Notre Dame game. So that one really surprised me that uh, they're having trouble with the tickets. I guess three home games in November was a surprise. And, and this is a game which uh, Notre Dame's got to be careful because Navy's very dangerous, especially uh, they cover these games in uh, at Notre Dame quite a bit. In fact, Notre Dame seems to cover when they're at a neutral site or on the road against Navy, but at home, Navy tends to play them closer. And this is uh, not your not last year's Navy team by any stretch the imagination. Their defense holding opponents to 117 yards per game below their season average this year. And what uh, Ken Niamatololo did in the offense is he retooled it, made it to the strengths of Malcolm Perry, and look what's happened. They're averaging 457 yards per game, 6.1 on the ground, and it's a tough offense to prepare for in one week like Notre Dame has to do. So I think Navy's going to give Notre Dame everything they want. should be a great game. The fans that aren't going to be there are going to be missing a, a really good game. Hmm. 
Yeah, Phil, I'm a uh, I'm a big proponent of chaos with the uh, with the entire playoff uh, committee and situation. And I think chaos begins this weekend with Auburn beating Georgia coming off the bye at home. Bo Nix a little more comfortable at home than he's been on the road this year. What kind of chance do you give Auburn to begin the wheels in motion to get Alabama back in the conversation? Yeah, a lot more comfortable at home than on the road. He's hitting at home 65%, 66% of his passes on the road, just 48% negative ratio on the road, nice positive ratio at home. So that's always a plus. Now, all the talk is about Auburn's defensive line. That's well it should be. They've got one of, if not the best defensive line in college football. But Georgia's actually got the better defense. They're only allowing 260 yards per game this year, holding opponents to 149 yards below their season average. They've got the veteran quarterback in Jake Fromm. They've got an offensive line that got a little banged up last week, but still one of the elite offensive lines in the country. So I think the situation greatly favors Auburn this week. Talent-wise, I think Georgia's the better team. I think this one goes right down to the wire. So that should be another really good game this weekend. And I can't see either team winning it by, uh, by more than like three or four points. How surprised are you, Phil? by the Minnesota Golden Gophers. Did you see this coming uh, at all, especially after the first three weeks of the season? You know, South Dakota State, Fresno State, Georgia Southern, you know, didn't exactly blow these teams out. Here we are right now, but, you know, what, what was your thought on the Gophers as this started to grow, not even just through, through the year? And a lot of people think that this is the letdown after beating Penn State, that they stumble uh, going into Iowa this week. I'm not so sure from a betting perspective you know, I'm looking at it. I got an undefeated team getting three points uh, in a football game. I'm actually a believer in Minnesota. But what do you think of Minnesota and Baylor and these undefeated teams? Or, you know, um, is anyone's bubble going to burst this week? What do you think? You know, looking at Minnesota at the start of the year, uh, I didn't pick them to win the West, but I said, wow, look at their schedule. You know, no Ohio State, no Michigan, no Michigan State on the schedule. And uh, you look at who they've played so far in the Big Ten. The first five games, they were taking on backup quarterbacks. Purdue lost their starting quarterback in the first quarter, along with All-American Rondell Moore. Against Illinois, Brandon Peters missed the game. Nebraska had, uh, Martinez missed the game. Rutgers, they were taking on a third-string quarterback. Maryland started a backup quarterback, lost him, had to go with a third-string quarterback. But last week, they impressed me against Penn State. They took on a legitimate number-one quarterback, and while they gave up 518 yards to Sean Clifford and company, uh, they led throughout the game. And you know, I thought Minnesota controlled that game. So the very impressive game, by far their most impressive game of the year. And as you touched on, those first three games, they trailed in the fourth quarter against South Dakota State, Fresno State, Georgia Southern. Fortunate to win, but they're just getting better and believing in themselves on a weekly basis. Rodney Smith coming back at running back, I think, was huge. He's got 940 yards, 5.5, missed the early part of the season. They've got two NFL-caliber receivers in Rashad Bateman and Tyler Johnson. I do think they're a better team than Iowa, especially at the skill positions. But as you touched on, Iowa's in a great situation at home at Kinnick, uh, and they're they're taking on a team that's playing with unbeaten pressure. So this is another one of those games. I wouldn't bet against Minnesota. They've won six straight games against the spread. And, uh, you know, when you play on a streak, you can win many times and lose only once. But how do you go against Iowa and Kinnick? So I, I wouldn't bet this game at all. I think it's going to be one of those tight games right down the wire. How about the other game that Gabe mentioned? You got Baylor at home, an undefeated Baylor team at home. They are 10.5-point underdogs to Oklahoma. How do you see this one playing out? I definitely like Baylor in this game, plus the points. Uh, when I look at it, uh, you know, the last two weeks, Baylor's been playing with what I call unbeaten pressure. And that's a team that's unbeaten at the end of the year. The players start saying, can we get here? Can we get here? Can we get here? <laughs> yeah. 
they're they're favored in the game and they struggled. They only got by West Virginia by three, and they probably should have lost to TCU last week. They were down nine nothing at the half. Uh, had to kick a fifty one yard field goal at the end of the game just to push it into overtime, tied at nine. But remember, Minnesota last week was a home underdog, so you're not playing with that unbeaten pressure. You're, nobody expects you to win. Nobody expects Baylor to win this game. They're a ten point dog to Oklahoma, and Oklahoma doesn't play as well on the road. Lincoln Riley just three nine and one against the spread as an away favorite. You look at their overall numbers. Uh, they lost to Kansas State on the road this year. They only beat Texas by seven. Uh, and so I think that Baylor's in a tremendous situation as a home underdog here. I think they could possibly pull the upset. I definitely like Baylor plus the points to play their best game in the last couple of weeks. And I think it'll be more like the Minnesota Penn State game. I got to ask you, Phil, another upset I had circled on the card. How about Missouri getting seven, welcoming Florida? Kelly Bryant back to 100%. Florida a little beat up in this spot. I don't know. Do you think Missouri's got enough in the tank to be able to pull up the upset? Well, I, I think they do. And being at home is a big plus because they've been a completely different team home and away. And as mm-hmm. you touched on, last week they had a backup quarterback on the road against Georgia. Uh, they they didn't get – it wasn't a, as bad as a 27 nothing score would indicate. They only gave up 339 yards to Georgia. Uh, but they struggled with the backup quarterback, as you would, against that defense. The previous two road games shocked me. At Kentucky, at Vanderbilt, losing those games, they had no business doing that. But they've been a completely different team at home. At home this year, uh, they're plus 200. 24 yards per game. The defense is only allowing 237 yards per game. As you touched on, Kelly Bryant's back, and that's big for them. So, uh, and look at the last two years in this series. Uh, each year, I thought Florida was going to win, and Missouri crushed them last year in the swamp, 38 to 17. Florida went out to Missouri uh, two years ago and lost that one, 45 to 16. So Missouri will be confident. They're home. They're an underdog, and after the way they played the last three weeks, they need a win like this to turn their season around. I, I think the upset is a distinct possibility. Mm. Phil, I wanted to ask you. Uh, we sort of, you know, we touched it. I agree with you, Joe, as far as uh, Georgia. Uh, getting knocked off by Auburn. I think Georgia got a little bit of a benefit of the doubt, uh, too much of a benefit of the doubt, uh, with with their four spot uh, here, Phil. Yet I'm one of these guys, I really don't, you know, I, it's fun talking about it, especially last week because Alabama lost, so it did make it a little bit more interesting. But I'm one of these guys that says, let it play itself out. Everything will work itself out on its own. And I also tell people, there's what I think the, the ranking should be and what they will be. So let me ask you, if Phil Steele was ranking, did you like the four? Would you have had Georgia in the four hole? And I wanted to ask you, is there one lost team that you think people aren't talking about enough that might be on the outside looking in no matter what, like our Oregon and Utah, are they getting a lot, enough love? What did you think about it? What would you have done with the rankings? Yeah, I'm going to agree with your assessment that it'll work itself out because Georgia at four, I mean, if Georgia wins out, they'll be in the playoff. If Georgia doesn't yeah. win out, they won't be in the playoff. So that's going to work itself out. It doesn't matter whether they're four. They can be three or two. If they lose another game, they're not going to make the playoff this year. So that's that's one big thing when it comes to Georgia. Now, the one team I think nobody's talking about is Utah. Utah's playing great defense. They've got one of the best defensive lines in the country, an outstanding secondary. The offensive line's playing well. They've got a running back in Zach Moss, who's NFL caliber. Tyler Huntley's not a big name, but he's just hitting 74% with an 11-1 ratio. They finish up with UCLA, Arizona, Colorado. So I expect them to win their final three games. They've got to be rooting for Oregon to also run the table, which Oregon should. Both teams would be double-digit favorites in all the rest of their games. And I think if you have a one-loss Utah against a one-loss Oregon, how do you keep the winner of that game out of the playoffs? So I think the number four spot's going to go to the Pac-12 winner, provided wow. they win out. 
If they win out, I think it goes to a Pac-12 team this year. And naturally, the other three teams, uh, I'm going to go with Ohio State, LSU, and Clemson. I think those teams run the table and, and win out. But the beautiful thing about college football in the month of November, we have seen so many upsets happen in this month, and it, it takes what you think is definite right now and turns the whole thing over. So anything can happen. But right now, I would have the Pac-12 champ along with those other three. All right, we'll take a quick time out on Fantasy Sports today. Expert time coming up next. What happened and what are the ramifications in fantasy from that Cleveland-Pittsburgh game last night? Jamie Eisenberg from CBS Sports joins us right after the break. Don't go away. Want to be the next Daily Fantasy Millionaire? Dunk on your NBA DFS competition with DailyRoto.com and dominate on FanDuel and DraftKings this season. Compete with the pros with DailyRoto.com, Optimizer, and the most accurate projections in NBA DFS, plus lineup alerts, breaking news, late swap support, and much more. Save 10% on winning NBA DFS advice with promo code DUNK. Visit DailyRoto.com backslash DUNK to learn more. Fantasy Sports Today with Craig Mish and Jamie Eisenberg. And welcome back to Fantasy Sports Today. As always, on a Friday, we get you ready for the weekend. And we check in with Jamie Eisenberg from CBS Sports and CBSSports.com. You can follow him on Twitter at Jamie Eisenberg, and certainly catch him over at CBS and Fantasy Football Today. What we normally do every Thursday is recap, or every Friday, is recap the Thursday night game and then look forward to the weekend, which we almost will certainly do. And, uh, Jamie, I guess we can begin with um, a dud of a game, but a wild finish to one, which probably is going to have some significant fantasy ramifications. I'm already seeing one significant injury uh, on the side of Morgan Burnett here. But, man, I have a feeling that before the day is done, we're going to learn that some significant uh, penalizing and issues are going to be going down that we're going to have to pay attention to. Did something happen in that game? I, I must have missed it. Uh, was no, there, like, yeah. a fighter? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, no, Pitt, yeah Pitt, no, Pitt, uh, uh, Pitt took North Carolina to overtime. Yeah, that's what happened. <laughs> um, yeah, obviously, Miles Garrett is going to you know probably be suspended for the rest of the season, which is going to hurt the Browns defense, uh, which is unfortunate if you were trying to count on their DSG not to make light of the situation, but obviously we're a fantasy um, uh, show. So, um, yeah. you know, hurting their, their, uh, their fantasy DST options um, because he's, he's a great player. And uh, the schedule is, is starting to set up very nicely, clearly for, you know, week 12 against Miami. So um, based on how they played, you know, as a defense, they look like one of the better options going into that week, and they probably still are just because of Miami's offense. But, you know, you have Burnett down. Uh, you know, Randall was ejected in that game for the hit on Deontay Johnson. I don't think he's going to be suspended, but you never know. And then uh, I never pronounced his name right, so I'm just going to call him OG. Um, you know, pushing Mason Randolph at the end of the you know game after the, the fight also is probably looking at a suspension too. So, you know, you have three key players on, on a Browns defense that um, – you know, probably not going to be there for that game against Miami next week. And, you know, for Pittsburgh, I'm sure Marquise Pouncey, who uh, did what probably most teammates and most people who care about their friends would do, um, you know, jumping in and, and throwing some punches, uh, is probably going to be out for the Steelers and who knows who else, you know, after the NFL looks at the tape. 
Yeah, well, we know a lot of guys are probably going to be out for the Steelers next week. We'll get to them in a minute. But uh, is this the start of, of something better, you think, for Cleveland? They've now won back-to-back games, uh, Jamie. And and I, and I guess surprisingly, as you mentioned, they've kind of done it with defense, both, both against Buffalo and against Pittsburgh. And I know that there were some huge expectations for Cleveland going into the season. And I think no matter what happens in the last few games, I, I don't know that they're going to be able to meet those expectations. But... Do you feel like a lot of those guys on their offense are more of streaming options? Landry certainly has has put himself back on the PPR map over the last month or so. Four catches, 43 yards, a touchdown. Kareem Hunt now is heavily involved in the offense. He's getting a bunch of catches. They are hell-bent on giving Nick Chubb 25 to 30 carries a game, which is phenomenal for him. And even Baker Mayfield, when he's not throwing picks, seems to be somewhat viable. Yeah, and again, the schedule sets up you know beautifully for them. So I think the second half of the season... You know, I think most people that were looking at it said, okay, if they can sort of manage their way through this after seeing the way that the start happened, because like you said, there were a lot of high expectations no matter what the schedule was. But, you know, this is the end of it. If you still can get Odell Beckham cheap, uh, Baker Mayfield on our side is you know, 62% owned, so there's still an opportunity to find him on waivers, especially some 10 team leagues. Uh, like you said, Landry sort of, you know, turned the corner a little bit and, and should benefit from the upcoming schedule as well. Um, you know, we'll find out if they get David Njoku back. So that's the tight end that could, you know, sort of factor into the mix at a weak position. And then the two running backs. It's unfortunate with Nick Chubb because I, I still think there's a, there's a lot to like about it. Like you said, the carries have been there 20 last week, you know, over 20 again uh, against the Steelers. And they're just becoming empty carries at this point, though, because they can't get him into the end zone. We've seen their red zone struggle. And the yeah. passing game work has just completely disappeared. And so it's it's becoming a scenario of, how good is he? Where's the ceiling? And so you're not benching him against Miami. You're not going to get away from him when you play the Bengals. But, um, you know, you may have to consider if your team is stacked or in a good spot that he may not just be the must-start guy that he has been. I, I don't think that'll be the case on most rosters. But, you know, it's just one of those scenarios of Kareem Hunt coming back. Is This was the fear. How much would he ruin him? And, and you're seeing it. He's ruining him enough that it's not the same player that was, you know, playing at a, at a high level in some tough spots. Would you start to consider playing Hunt in in a in a flex as a flex, Jamie, in in PPR leagues moving forward? Is is he in oh, that consideration? Yeah, ab- absolutely. You know, I, I people kept asking me. I'm sure you probably feel a lot of the same questions too. Like, what's wrong with Baker? And one thing I kept going back to was, you know, as great as Odell Beckham and Jarvis Landry are, I think he was missing the safety valve. You know, and you know Duke Johnson last year, David Njoku yeah. last year, not having those two guys on the field. I think was a problem for him, you know, and it's a problem for most quarterbacks, you know, uh, Nick Chubb's good in the passing game. I don't think they probably exploit his talents as much as they could have, but you see what Kareem Hunt brings to the, to the table and, and you've seen Baker's numbers the last two weeks. And I, I think, you know, when they get a semblance of a, of a tight end, you know, play, which Njoku does, um, you know, Ricky Seals Jones and, and Demetrius Harris just aren't those same type of guys. So, you know, at not having a, a check down option and, you know, with Antonio Callaway's, in and out of the lineup, Rashard Higgins in and out of the lineup, you know, not having a third receiver or a third option, it just limits everything that they could do. And so now you're starting to get other players involved and, and you're seeing Baker's numbers. They weren't great. You know, I mean, he was, what, 17 to 32, you know, so, um, you know, not throwing the ball with a very good accuracy. But when he's facing Miami and the Bengals and, and, and some of the matchups that are coming up, he's probably going to look a lot better. Yeah, Hunt's going to be a good dynasty league guy, I think, if you can grab him. If you're uh, going into next year, getting this full year off almost and uh, and having those fresh legs. Well, on the Pittsburgh side of the ball, Jamie, th- this really could not have gone much worse. And, and look, 
I, you know, Mike Tomlin, I think, has done a great job f- trying to figure out ways to be creative, but the injuries have just completely disabled this team. And and honestly, Jamie, I mean, I watched college football like you. I mean, I, I saw Mason Rudolph at Oklahoma State. I, I never thought he was that great. I mean, Gundy's a great coach for quarterbacks, and he has made average quarterbacks look very good in his system, and I, and I just never really understood why that was like an automatic, yeah, he's going to be good with the Steelers. And, and he's had his moments where he's been okay. But man, like that game last night, and I know that he lost Connor and he lost Juju, and I know that there's going to be issues there. But I think if anything for me, Jamie, what Rudolph is, has shown is that I, I don't think that after this year he's going to get another opportunity to start anywhere. Probably not. Um, you know, and, and I think I'm, I'm guessing from Pittsburgh's perspective, which, you know, it's hard to – overlooked that is that when they drafted him, they still had Antonio Brown, still had Juju, still had one of the best offensive lines. And if you know, paid attention to the broadcast last night, you know, the, they were saying that Mike Tomlin said he still feels like the strength of this team. I think he said the strength of the team is the offensive line or the you know, position group he doesn't worry about. That offensive line has become a problem, you know, yeah. and, and you saw it sort of rear its head last night. Bill Murray was getting pushed around, you know, uh, Foster's been in and out of the lineup with injuries. And so a unit that, may get covered up. This just shows you how great quarterback play or how important great quarterback play is because Roethlisberger probably makes a lot of those things better. I don't think that's uh, uh, probably an obvious statement, but, you know, you get good quarterback play. Okay, he shifts a little bit to his left. The the, the left tackle pushes the guy out to his right, you know, or, or however that goes, you know, and just some of the, the things that all sort of work together. Uh, Rudolph doesn't do those things to help the line. You know, he's holding the ball half a second too long or, or you know, not, not finding the right read. So the, the, the scenarios for Mason Rudolph are just not the same. And like you said, losing uh, Juju and losing Connor early in the game doesn't help. Losing Deontay Johnson doesn't help. You know, when he's force-feeding the ball to Holton and, you know, he's just dropping balls left and right, you know. So, um, you know, it, and it, again, it's an unfortunate situation for their scenario because, they get the Bengals next week. They get the Browns again. You know, the schedule is also very favorable for Pittsburgh. Um, just looking at week 12, if they don't have Juju or Connor, it's hard to say that you can look at Rudolph as a streaming option when prior to the game, prior to last night, you may have said, okay, I can get by with Mason Rudolph because they're playing Cincinnati and he has all this talent around him. Yeah, I had that debate last night of whether or not to start Juju, and I just looked at the other options and thought – I don't want to be that guy, Jamie, that in the second round takes a guy and benches him and then he catches the ball because Juju still catches the ball and runs for 50 yards. I mean, it may not be Rudolph doing it, but I've seen Juju do it. And, and honestly, that that turned out to be a big mistake there. Uh, taking oh, the, first, the, look, first, but, the first catch. For, I'm sorry. The first catch for him. I thought, OK, here's a yards, big game right? for Juju. Yeah. yeah. You know, it looked like and it's funny because I, I looked at both Juju and, and Beckham. And you never like to get away from those guys in primetime games. And it looked like Beckham yes, was going to have a monster right. game, obviously, the way that it started. And then same thing with Juju. But, you know, it's just unfortunate how that unfolded for both of them. Yeah. Is there an early look at the pickups there, by the way, for Pittsburgh again? I mean, is Snell? I mean, I really like Benny Snell. He was so good at Kentucky. Remember what he did to the Gators? I feel like like sure. like Snell, Snell has a future if he can get on the field and – and I don't really I, – what I've seen from Edmonds, eh, I don't know, Jamie. I don't, I don't know that I'm high on him. And from a receiving point of view, if they're missing Juju and Deontay Johnson, is it back to James Washington again? I can't believe Vance McDonald isn't more involved in, in the game. Uh, Man, that, that, yeah, that's I, a busted pick for me. I think you just look at next week and, you know, we'll find out how healthy they are. But um, Washington against the Bengals will be in the number three receiver conversation and McDonald will yeah. be in the streaming tight end conversation. 
And so, you know, just uh, from the backs, if Snell is healthy, then he should be, you know, the lead guy in terms of carries. But, you know, we haven't seen a scenario with no Connor and a healthy Snell and Samuels. So Samuels will probably still be the guy in the passing game, and I think you just look at Snell taking over for Trey Edmonds. I agree with you, Edmonds just hasn't really shown a ton. He had the one big run a few weeks ago, but outside of that, I don't think it's a lot to hang your hat on. But again, they're facing the Bengals, so you know you look at that as the uh, as the end all be all. The matchup sometimes wins out. Yeah, and and again, I know that Snell did not have a great combine, but I mean, you you're a running back and you're mashing guys in the SEC and leading the SEC and leading the country and rushing touchdowns with 17 last year. I'm sorry, I, I want to see him play before I am out on him. Uh, I, I I think that there's something there, but again, he's he hasn't been healthy, and that's that's a big part of fantasy and a big part of reality too. All right, uh, quick timeout here on fantasy sports today. We'll come back and dive into the weekend games. After last week's excitement, I'm sure that we're going to have some exciting games. Great game on Sunday night last week. And uh, and what will uh, the recap be for Minnesota? Shockingly low total in that uh, Broncos-Vikings game. I want to ask Jamie about that next. You're listening to Fantasy Sports Today. Don't go away. NFL season is now upon us, and you can become the eighth person to win $1 million in a FanDuel or DraftKings tournament by setting their lineups using the DailyRoto.com DFS lineup optimizer. If you are playing daily fantasy sports and not using DailyRoto.com, you're doing it wrong. Sign up now for the NFL access with a faster optimizer, smarter DFS projections, and better results. Enter promo code ACTION for a 10% discount. That's promo code ACTION for a 10% discount. DailyRoto.com, where millionaires are made. Fantasy Sports Today with Craig Mish and Jamie Eisenberg. And welcome back. This is Fantasy Sports Today. Craig Mish, we are fortunate enough to have Jamie Eisenberg from CBS Sports and CBSSports.com every week with us here on the show as we dive into some pro football. Last week we did a little college football with Alabama and LSU and uh, that was a fun game to watch as well. This this is the game that I wanted to start off with because you rarely see this, Jamie, in the NFL. So now, look, I know Ohio State is 50-point favorites over over Rutgers, and the total is like 57, and I get that. It's as wacky as it looks. But the Vikings are 10.5-point favorites against Denver, and the total is only 39 in this game. Now, what this is, at least what Vegas is saying, Jamie, is bench everyone except Cook in this game. I mean, that's kind of what it's saying. I mean, beyond that, how can you – I mean, 39 points – in an NFL game where the Vikings are 10-point favorites, that means Minnesota's winning this game like, uh, you know, 29-10. Or, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean maybe, maybe so. But, but meanwhile, Denver, the way that they play, Jamie, they always dominate time of possession. I think they're second or third in the NFL in time of possession. They are hell-bent on running on first down, on second down, on third down. They get the ball back, and now the quarterback is running. Allen, I, this, I want to start off with this one because it seems like a great matchup for Minnesota. But I'm not so sure, based on what some of these numbers are saying. The only, I, I think you, you said it best, the, the only must-play for me for Minnesota, and it's hard to get away from Philip Lindsay, so I think for the game, and, and probably Cortland Sutton as well, just because you know there's always a chance for a big play like we saw last week or last game for them against the, the Browns, that you know Brandon Allen will put the ball in, in a spot that he can go make a play um, uh, like we saw in his first start. So I, I think Dalvin Cook is a must-play from Minnesota's perspective. The Diggs yeah. mm-hmm. should be a must-play. But when you start to look at the numbers, he's been bad the last two weeks. And even without Adam Thielen on the field, 
you still have the scenario of Chris Harris, despite everything that's gone on, trade rumors, uh, the, the bad play from Denver, you know, just in terms of some bad luck and, and, and clearly the one loss record, um, has been fantastic. And, you know, he's just basically on every number one receiver that he said. Tyreek Hill had the one touchdown against him from Matt Moore, where he just barely missed knocking the ball down, and Tyreek Hill took off from that point forward. And Beckham had five for 87. Otherwise, he shut down Devontae Adams. He shut down Allen Robinson. You go down the list of the receivers that he's faced, he's basically just eliminated that guy. So it's hard to say Stephon Diggs is a must-play. And then, you know, for, uh, for Philip Lindsay and, and potentially Royce Freeman, you know, they're facing a Vikings defense that's without Linval Joseph. That's going to hurt their run defense. So I think based on exactly what you said, their, their modus operandi is to run, run, and run some more. And so will they just continue to feed those guys? They did against, uh, against Cleveland, but it was Lindsay more so than Freeman. So I'll stick with Lindsay. I'll probably get away from Freeman if I can. But it's not going to be a pretty game, I think, from an aesthetic standpoint at all. Yeah, it doesn't look like it, but uh, I mean, Minnesota, with all those options, a quarterback and wide receiver, and, and, and you saw Rudolph with those touchdowns last week, it's just shocking to me that, that this is just basically a reaction to the way Denver plays football. Now, on the flip side, uh, as we talked about last week, it was all in on that game with Arizona and Tampa Bay, and for the most part, that worked out. Uh, Tampa Bay, again, who's going over their total more than any team in the NFL this season, that's 50 and a half, and it's the Saints and Bucks. But based on the way the Saints played last week against the Falcons, a little bit of a head-scratcher, Jamie. They were able to move the ball, but they just kept kicking field goals. We know that Tampa, at any time, is going to have Winston just bombing the ball up and down the field. We know that's going to happen. So is it simply put, this is the fantasy game? Is this the all-hands-on-deck game this week between New Orleans and Tampa and expect the Saints to bounce back? I think so. You know, it's just weird because this is typically the game when we've talked throughout the years about Breeze's road versus home splits. Because Tampa Bay's been bad for years. We know that. You know, during the Breeze era, you know, they had clearly a couple runs under, you know, Dungy and uh, the defense was good, but that kind of was preceding Breeze. Um, so this defense, for the most part, has been bad. Breeze's numbers in Tampa Bay aren't great. I think he's got one game over 20 fantasy points in his last five meetings there. So they usually what they do is they run all over Tampa Bay. Well, what's right. Tampa Bay's strength right now? It's the running. And so with uh, Pete now out on the offensive line for the Saints, um, it makes me a little nervous about Breeze, but I just feel like you saw Kyler Murray have success against them. Every quarterback does well against them. Uh, Michael Thomas has a field day. Derek Cook's playing well. Uh, you know Kamara's going to catch ball the backfield. I'm not getting away from Drew Breeze by any stretch. And so I think this is a bounce-back game for them. Yes, I, I agree. I think it's going to be up and down. Yeah, now the scenario, which is great for Mike Evans mostly, but for Jameis also, there's no Marcus Lattimore on the field. So they should be able to attack that secondary and you know, maybe change some things for how the, the Saints operate. Do they get as aggressive going after the quarterback? Um, so as long as Jameis doesn't have a turnover fest, which we know is capable of, he's capable of at any time, uh, he should have a big game. Bree should have a big game. It should be fun all the way around. It's just a matter of which are the secondary pieces because I think Evans will be great. Uh, Thomas will be great. Godwin will be great. Will O.J. Howard play well again like we saw last week, or is it just the Cardinals and everybody does well with the tight ends against the Cardinals? Uh, Jared Cook, will he you know, have 10-plus targets and you know, another 6-for-70-plus for game with a chance to score? So it's really more of those guys. And then I hope Bruce Arians is right with what he said, that, that they're going to start to continue or continue to use Ronald Jones in the passing game because he had eight catches last week, and that was really fun to see him get just to uh, uh, see his game expand a little bit because I think he's capable of doing more. Yeah, uh, weird fumble for him. Beyond that, uh, looks like a guy that all of a sudden – 
is an RB2 at the very least in fantasy. We're here with Jamie Eisenberg of CBS Sports, cbsports.com. All right, so Jamie, I finally nailed a little bit of a sleeper last week with you here on the show. It only took 10 weeks. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, this is a guy, and I played him last week too, Brian Hill. Uh, running back of the Atlanta Falcons is involved in a game with one of the highest totals on the board this week, a 50 and a half against the Panthers. I think you illustrated what Hill does well, which is in space. And he did that on the catch that he scored a touchdown. But he's not uh, the big dude. You know, he's not the guy that's going to run up the middle. And I would still think Atlanta will find a way to get somebody else offensively involved in that. Carolina, uh, strange team, kind of hard to figure on a week-to-week basis when Kyle, and, and they go for it a lot. You know, Ron Rivera, Riverboat Ron, you're fourth and one on their own 40. They go for it. Sometimes they get it. Sometimes they miss it. So I suppose that that's kind of the deal here with this. Do you think that Atlanta, who statistically, Jamie, ironically, especially on offense, matches up all season long with everyone, and even their outlying statistics say that their record should be a lot better but yet they've put up some massive duds this season in both fantasy and reality. So what do you make of this one? We know who the Carolina Panthers people are. I mean, everyone's playing McCaffrey. Uh, Moore has come on for sure. We know that Olsen's played better lately. But Atlanta's really that weird DFS and even season-long dynamic team at this point. Uh, for sure. You know, and part of that is, you know, they had the basically bad game against the Rams, which was followed up by no Matt Ryan. So it was Matt Schaub in there, too. So. Um, he was great, by the way. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, he was great. Um, they've had some, you know, clearly some tough injuries. Devontae Freeman, which has opened the door for Brian Hill. And then no Austin Hooper. So we'll see how that's going to impact Matt Ryan. Plus, I think they've still been trying to adjust to the Muhammad Sanu trade. So you had all that sort of factor in Ryan going down, Sanu being traded. Um, yeah, you know, stop, stop having to start. So there, there's, there's a lot of, you know, changes going on for the Falcons. I think it was pretty impressive, you know, not fantasy-wise, but the fact that they came off their bye week and, and played as hard as they did because it could have been easy to say, we're done with Dan Quinn, you know, we want to move on. Uh, but the fact that they played as hard as they did and won that game shows you that they, they clearly are still playing for the coach. Um, I, I think, you know, for Matt Ryan, you have to start him. Um, he, uh, with, with the two weapons that he has, even though that Bradbury's back on the other side, his track record against the, the Panthers has been very good, even in Carolina, you know, so for a team that plays indoors going outdoors, he should still be fine. Um, who will step up in Hooper's place? Will it be finally getting some production from Ridley? That's the hope. I think you look, if you're desperate, you know, uh, you mentioned Brian Hill, but if you want another sleeper, Russell Gage has 14 targets in, in, in his last two games without Sanu on the field. Uh, one of those, again, was without Brian, so hopefully this is an opportunity without Hooper there that he sort of steps up in the middle of the field and he's available everywhere. Um, but I like Russell Gage as a sleeper this week. And then for Brian Hill, look, he, he, it, it's always fun when you can find somebody off the waiver wire. I know you were sort of on top of this um, since the E.O. Smith injury, so kudos to you. Uh, but for most people that you know weren't looking at Brian Hill and had the opportunity to pick him up this week, he got the 21 touches. That's after Freeman got hurt, so it wasn't like he played the full game and got 21 touches. So that shows you that they're going to lean on him quite a bit. And I agree with you. It's going to be somebody else, whether it's Tanyon Barner or Kadri Allison. You know, they'll give somebody some opportunity to get some touches, but he should still get the majority of work. The Panthers have allowed 13 touchdowns to running backs in their last five games. Wow. Oh, That's I know amazing. That. It's just Oof. absolutely amazing. Two running backs in that span have three rushing touchdowns. So they've given up, I think it's 11 of those on the ground. So it's just a, a, a phenomenal scenario for uh, Hill to come in and hopefully get the 20 carries again or 20-plus touches. I think he'll score. You know, he's a great option on D- in DFS on any set you play on. The problem is everybody's going to play him, and they should. You know, sometimes we talk about this a lot, that. You don't want to use the popular guy, but if you have the right lineup around the popular guy, you should be in good shape. And you don't want to miss out on those points. 
Don't miss out on Brian Hill's points. He should be very good this week. Wow. Yeah. 13 touchdowns. Yikes. I didn't know that. Uh, Jamie Eisenberg is with us. That's why we get the information from Jamie. Um, okay. So now here is the game, the final one that I want to review. And it's very easy to look at New England and Philly and all these other games where you know what's going to happen. But I'm going right to the Sunday night game because the Bears... I thought were minutes away from benching Trubisky in the second in the second quarter of that game where they were getting shut out again. This guy comes to life all of a sudden in the second half and looks like the Trubisky that we saw somewhat of last year. And meanwhile, Jamie, how do the Rams? How are the Rams seven point favorites over anybody in the NFL right now? What in the world has gone wrong with them? Is it just is it simply their offensive line is a disaster and that's what's caused all of this? How did they go from the most prolific offense, arguably in the NFC if not the NFL? to a team that, that's struggling to score two touchdowns. I think it's the offensive line, you know, and, and it's probably too simple to say that because, you know, we talked about this a lot. I mean, Gurley's me, obviously, or whatever he's dealing with, not right. He's not the same player. The explosiveness isn't there. Uh, Brandon Cook's being hurt has been a part of this as well. They don't have the skilled stretcher, and he's been in and out with the now missing time. Uh, but, you know, the offensive line, Whitworth got old. You know, they, they, Stafford hasn't played great in Tennessee, but they miss him clearly in, in, in Los Angeles. And then now you have Allen and Haverstein, you know, both – out with injury, so it's going to be tough. I think you know for both these teams to score because I think part of the reason why the Rams are favored so much is because their defense is turned the corner. You know, so as they sort of struggle through and then made the trades and the moves to get Jalen Ramsey and whatnot, um, you've seen now the last month or so their defense played a lot better. Now part of that is playing Atlanta where they beat up Matt Ryan and the Bengals, but I think they did a good enough job last week against Pittsburgh. And you can say, okay, Pittsburgh makes Rudolph, but still. Um, you have a struggling quarterback in, in Trubisky. Who knows if David Montgomery is going to play after tweaking his ankle? You know, so that's you got to keep your eye on. Um, so there's you know a limited offensive team that they're facing. But from the Rams' perspective, it's weird because you're not getting away from Cooper Cup. I know he was a disaster last week, but much better situation for him coming back home. Robert Woods, I think, took a, a, a step forward without Brandon Cooks. Targets were up. He still didn't score a touchdown through the air, but still good enough that you're going to start him. And then Gerald Everett's played great. You know, it's full format specific. He's better in PPR than non PPR. But I like all three of those options. But I can't trust Jared Goff at all. So yeah. I think it's going to be a, a, a defensive game. You know, uh, hopefully Gurley finds the end zone because that's kind of been what saved him and the Bears' run defense has been bad. Uh, and then for Chicago, I, I really don't love anybody because I think it's going to be tough for Allen Robinson against Ramsey because that's the type of receiver that he tends to dominate, you know, a physical type of guy. Um, and if Montgomery's out, you know, maybe Tariq Cohen has a, a step forward and they use him a little bit more, but I think they, they'd be wacky and, you know, use Cordero Patterson and this kid and all that they have on their bench after getting rid of Mike Davis. So it could just be a messy game all the way around from Chicago's perspective. Yeah, interesting that the Rams had those years, uh, many years with Kurt Warner. And, and even after Kurt Warner and Vermeil left, Martz came in, had Bulger. It's like they had that four or five year offensive run. And, and the Rams, are they done after just two years of really good offense? I'm, I'm shocked that it's gone down this quickly. Uh, OK, Jamie, before we go, uh, give us a good option this week. Sneaky option, uh, starting option, DFS option. Just give me one or two here before we wrap. Well, the, the the first place I'd look at is Debo Samuel. Um, you know, if uh, as we expect, no Emmanuel Sanders. Um, we saw last week, you know, 11 targets, eight catches, over 100 yards, and Sanders beat up the Cardinals last time those two teams met. And then I think it's going to be fun to see if Philip Dorsett and Mohamed Sanu take advantage of the Philadelphia secondary. I know they play better of late. Uh, this should be a game where Dorsett does well, the outside guy, but Sanu was just fantastic against Baltimore the last time those teams were on the field together. So take a look at, uh, at, at Sanu and Dorsett. Dorsett probably a little bit better of a flyer. All right, Jamie, thanks again for coming on. We'll catch up again next week. Have a great weekend. You got it, you too. Jamie Eisenberg from CBS Sports and CBSSports.com. We'll wrap up the show after this. Don't go away.
NFL season is now upon us, and you can become the eighth person to win $1 million in a FanDuel or DraftKings tournament by setting their lineups using the DailyRoto.com DFS lineup optimizer. If you are playing daily fantasy sports and not using DailyRoto.com, you're doing it wrong. Sign up now for the NFL access with a faster optimizer, smarter DFS projections, and better results. Enter promo code ACTION for a 10% discount. That's promo code ACTION for a 10% discount. DailyRoto.com, where millionaires are made. Fantasy Sports Today with Craig Mish. Welcome back to Fantasy Sports Today as we send you off into the football weekend. Let's end the show with a little two-minute drill. The two-minute warning. Two minutes, get your sh- together. Is that going to be enough time? All right, we'll end the show with a little hot take here on the two-minute drill. And, of course, the story that everybody on talk radio is talking about today, whether it's fantasy or reality, was the end of that game between Cleveland and Pittsburgh. And there's no doubt everyone is culpable. The players are culpable. The coaches are culpable. But you know who else is culpable? The organizations. I mean, come on. At this stage of the game, if you are even slightly concerned with one of your players or your group of players that are acting out, don't you have to like enforce more discipline and let these guys know? This is some of the worst stuff that you can possibly see on television. And I'll tell you, even from my son's perspective, and I allow him to play baseball, I mean, this is why there's just no possible chance that I would ever allow him to play football. Not that he even could, but the reality of watching a guy pull a guy's helmet off and smack him and he's watching that on TV. It's just I mean, that that kind of stuff just can't happen. And the discipline has to go even beyond the player. It has to go to the team. Allowing that kind of stuff to happen has got to be completely done in all of sports. Whatever happened to sportsmanship, man, that's out the window. Thanks again, everybody listening. Thanks again to Chris Bavona for helping out today, as well as my producer, Sean Guastamacchia, also for Jamie Eisenberg appearing on this show. That'll do it. Full-time fantasy is next at 2 o'clock. I will talk to you guys along with Joe Monday at noon. Have a great weekend, everybody. See ya.